And as you prepare for the word of the Lord, I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to the first book of the scriptures. That would be Genesis chapter 2 for our lesson today. What a powerful and anointed song and worship. And while you find that reference in Genesis 2, I want to highlight for all the ladies the upcoming Bible study, Beth Moore video Bible study, as well as, of course, the fact that it will be facilitated here by my wife. And it's very anointed and powerful in the past. It begins on February the 22nd. All the ladies, the title, this term will be Breaking Free. The focus will be on studies from the writings of the prophet Isaiah. And I don't know that you'd find a more anointed, talented, gifted speaker and teacher than Beth Moore. She is certainly used of the Lord. The book, ladies, is available. It's $15 for the study guide. It is what we pay for it. We certainly will not try to make anything from it. But you need to get it today at the atrium and then make plans to begin with this study on the 22nd. Anything we can do to be free of all the junk of Satan and his desire to keep us in bondage, anything we do that is godly and holy, we should do that. Amen. So I want you to be aware of it. I, uh, I want to speak to you this morning in keeping with this, excuse me, in keeping with this day, this uh, Valentine's Day. And in keeping with struggles that all of us face when it comes to relationships. And so I want to, to, from this reading, uh, ask the question, why do marriages die? And when you hear that subject, you're thinking, well, maybe this is not for me because I don't fit in that category. But let me clarify that uh, this is for people who are married and people who want to be married and for people who are sorry that they've gotten married. So I think that should include everybody. Uh, this, this, this is, a, you know, there's some funny stories about marriages and weddings and all out there. And a lot of kids, they, their concept of things, they uh, explain it a little differently. And sometimes there's some truth that comes from it. And so I heard about the little boy who returned from church uh, one Sunday morning. And his mother was asking him, that, you know, what did you learn in Sunday school today? And he said, well, we talked about things that Jesus said in the New Testament. So his mother thought she would quiz him. She said, well, what, what did Jesus say about marriage? And he thought for a second and he said, uh, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. The other little boy was trying to explain to his mother and father what he learned in church. And, and he learned that God created Eve out of Adam's side. That God cut open this Adam's side and created Eve. Later on in the day... Uh, he got to hurting in the side. He had a side ache. And he said to his mother, Mom, I think I'm having a wife. <laughs> it takes a little bit more than that, I think. Look, look at Genesis chapter 2, please, in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now a bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, 
and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked. And the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Would you stretch your hands in my direction? Let's ask God to help us together through the word. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you because you're already here and you're already helping us. Come on, pray for me that I would be a help to you. I don't want this to be laborious and boring and painful, but I don't want it, oh God, to be something that we, we just, Lord, only hear and not do. So God, just give a revelation knowledge to all of us. Give us insight and understanding, Holy Spirit. God, come and abide in us. That, Lord, whether it's a marriage relationship or other kinds of relationships, let us learn from you today and let us grow in your grace. And do miracles, God, in our relationships that no human effort can do. We need you, we want you, we invite you, and we are nothing without you. Thank you for a double portion anointing in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And thank you for being seated. Keep your Bibles open to this reference, if you will. Someone suggested six rules, six rules that guys wish women knew. I said someone suggested it. I didn't suggest it. I'm just reading it, okay? See what you think. The first rule that guys wish women knew was this. You have too many shoes already. The second rule that guys wish women knew was this. Crying is blackmail. Third, ask for what you want, ma'am. We guys have a hard time. Subtle hints do not work. Rule number four that guys wish women knew was this. Mark our anniversary on the calendar with a highlighter. And while you're at it, mark your birthday and Mother's Day too. Rule number five that guys wish women knew. Headaches that last for 17 months are medical problems. See a doctor. And rule number six. If something we said can be interpreted in two ways, and one of those ways make you mad, we were thinking about the other way. (laughs) There are many marriages today that are not doing so well. There are many marriages today that are dead or dying. Truth of the matter is, there are marriages where love is as dead as a corpse. Marriages where yesterday's hopes and dreams have been assassinated by hateful, ugly words. There are marriages today that are bound up in grave clothes of bitter memories. Marriages that have been scarred by adultery or pornography or the internet or outright neglect and abuse. Marriages where all meaningful communication is a dull memory. You already know this, but let me say it because I want to build on it. There are no perfect marriages. There are only marriages that are in the process of becoming better or bitter. I have observed in this thing called marriage that the natural tendency in marriage is towards deterioration, not improvement. 
Because of the way the flesh works. Because of the way selfishness works. Because of the way Satan works. Marriages tend to gravitate to deterioration. It doesn't just improve itself without help. The only way that marriage partners can offset the process of decay is by taking a proactive approach to improving their relationships. So as I look at this this thought this morning, I want to draw some conclusions from this text. And I want to begin with the idea of marriage. Where did it come from? And I want to affirm marriage by telling you that Marriage was God's idea to begin with. Give me an amen. Amen. And it is still God's idea, even though the world and political correctness try to redefine it. I want you to notice some things about God's idea from this text, and maybe we can just build on a lesson here this morning that will help us in all of our relationships. Notice first, if you will, the concern that God addresses with this idea of marriage. In chapter 1 and, and up until chapter 2, we are given the creation story. Five times we read in the story of creation that God looked at what He had created and after He created each of them, He said, It was good. But then when He created man, He looked back and said, It is very good. And along beyond that, however, in chapter 2, verse 18, the Bible said that God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. He needed a helper comparable to him. This is the concern of the idea of marriage. That God did not want man to be alone and without being complete. So God created woman. The word for man in the Hebrew text is the word ish, I-S-H, and it means strong. The word for woman in the Hebrew text is the word isha, I-S-H-A. It means soft. And it would appear to me that both of these components are necessary for thriving, happy marriage. Strength and gentleness. Can I get another amen here? When God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, he set about to change things. And so, not only do we see the concern of God in the idea of marriage, we see the completion of God, which is given to us in verses 21 to 24. The Bible says that God gave the first anesthesia to a human being by putting Adam in a deep sleep. Then God did the first surgery on a human being when he took a rib out of Adam's side and out of that rib God made a woman. She was taken from Adam's side and not molded from the dust of the earth and the ground as was her husband. She was taken from a part of Adam so that Adam would be naturally incomplete until they were brought together. Augustine, a church historian of many years ago, Augustine said this, If God had meant woman to rule over man, he would have taken her from his head. 
Had he designed her to be his slave, he would have taken her from his feet. But God took woman out of a man's side, for he made her to be a helpmeet which would be equal to him. I think it's a good conclusion and biblical. Can you imagine when God first presented Eve to Adam? Just imagine if you were there. If you were Adam. Instead of my name being Alan, if it was Adam. So the first woman. I think he went, wow, man. (laughs) You see, here's an understanding we have about God's completion process. Man is restless while he's missing the rib that was taken out of his side. And the woman is restless until she gets under the arm from which she was taken. Observe, if you will. It is humbling for the woman to know that she was created for the man. But it is to her glory to know that she alone can complete him. Likewise... It is humbling for the man to know that he is incomplete without the woman, but it is to his glory to know that woman was created just for him. God's idea of marriage was to address the concern of completeness. But please notice, if you will, the cause And I don't mean a pun here, but it might come out that way. Sometimes you just ask, whose idea was this anyhow? Marriage. Why did God do this? You can ask it in the affirmative or you can ask it, why did God do this? The Old Testament describes carefully how man and woman came into being. Of course, you know, marriage originated with God. When God's blueprint for marriage is followed, church, when God's plan for marriage is followed, it can be one of the most wonderful, encouraging experiences you can know in your life. You know, the reality of it is, uh, one preacher put it this way, and I agree with him, that marriage was meant to be an encouragement factory. (laughs) And some of you didn't say amen because the factory is broken up at your house. If, if true marriage is, is honored the way the Bible teaches, then, then a man and woman can get encouragement from each other and edification and completeness like they can from no other source. Because God was concerned about encouragement. So that we've noticed the idea of marriage, let me speak for a moment on the instructions for marriage, please. I think that in this text we find some excellent instructions concerning marriage There there are three things that I believe that are required from the teachings of God's Word in order for marriage to not die, but to thrive. Number one, there must be commitment. Would you say the word commitment? You see, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, for marriages to survive in this age of divorce, there must be commitment to the responsibility of marriage. Please hear me when I tell you that unless marriage is built upon the foundation of mutual dedication to each other, 
No amount of fancy talking and roses and chocolates and candy and cards will build a marriage until we make a commitment to each other for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, whether I grow more lovely or less lovely, whether life does stuff stuff to me or not, I make a commitment of mutual dedication. Somebody ought to say amen. Robert Taylor wrote some years ago, and I agree with him. Robert Taylor says we are now living in an age of disposability. Meaning that we are living in an age where something is used once or twice and then thrown away. And while that may be okay for some products to be disposable and it may be appropriate, God never meant for marriage to be a component that would be disposable or an institution, I guess, is a better definition so that we throw it away. But many people enter in and out of marriages as if it was a disposable commodity and that was never God's plan. When you read verse 24, and your Bibles are open, please, to Genesis 2. It says here, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. There's more to this verse than meets the eye. Two words are very important. You won't see them on the screen, but it builds on this thought of commitment. Leave and join. The terms leave and join are associated with covenant treaties. You can either have a marriage based on a contract, or you can either have a marriage based on a covenant. God's idea of a good and, and, and sound and living and thriving marriage is always based on a covenant. A covenant says, I'll love you whether you love me or not. I'll, I'll like you and love you whether I feel like it or not. I'll stay with you whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. A covenant says that things may not always go right, but I won't bail out just because I want to have my way. A contract says if this don't go right, then you'll take the furniture and I'll take the car. And that's the kind of way that a lot of marriages are built. Leave and join. Now, when you see this word, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, one of the first things we think about is this physical intimacy in marriage. And while physical intimacy in marriage is an expression of the union of two people, physical union in marriage by itself is not enough to build on the Bible's concept of marriage. We have a phrase about marriage that we use, and we, we usually say when somebody's getting married, they're tying the knot. You know what I mean? So a lot of times when I do a wedding ceremony, some family member will say about the concern of the would-be bride or groom. Pastor, when you do the marriage ceremony, be sure you're tied and not tight. And I really do try. Some people have been able to manufacture slip knots. They tell me those people who do mountain climbing, who scale very high peaks, very vertical mountain walls. They tell me that people who do mountain climbing, they tie themselves to each other. And they say the reason why they tie themselves to each other, of course, at certain increments of the climb, the reason they tie themselves to each other is that they want to keep the sane ones from quitting the climb. Because it can be treacherous. And maybe that's a good way to use analogy of tying the knot in marriage. Because sometimes the going gets tough. And that's when you've got to hunker down, for lack of a better description, and say, God, I am in this thing because I want not only to get a blessing, but I want to be a blessing. Can somebody say amen? Let, let me say this to you about commitment, brothers and sisters. Statistics and research teach us 
that the most appropriate way for a family to thrive, the most rewarding way for children to be brought up in this world is when a man and woman in marriage make a commitment to each other. Ken Canfield, who is a noted counselor and writer on the subject of marriage, Ken Canfield thinks that this enduring bond of commitment between husband and wife affects more than just them. It affects other areas. And he goes on to say this. Please listen closely. The challenge for this generation is to make marriage a prerequisite to fathering. Meaning that nobody should aspire to be a father outside the context of marriage. Listen to this. Every day, hundreds of children are born without two parents who are committed to building a solid family together. Research confirms that these children are more likely to commit delinquent acts drop out of school, have children out of wedlock, suffer poverty, receive welfare, and abuse drugs and alcohol. Listen further. Research shows it. I'm not just quoting you some some stuff that I want you to think as wishful thinking and it's only about religion. But secular research shows the future is much brighter for children who have two parents in a committed relationship. But the operative word is the word commitment. I read a marvelous and true account this week in preparation for this lesson that moved my heart every time I read it. It speaks so clearly of commitment. You see, for many years, Mr. Robert McQuilkin was the president of Columbia Bible College. Some years ago, Mr. McQuilkin had to resign his position as the president of the college because his wife was suffering from the advanced stages of Alzheimer's disease. In his letter of resignation, this is what he said about his resignation. He said, my dear wife Muriel has been in failing mental health for about eight years. So far, I have been able to carry her ever-growing needs and my leadership responsibilities here at the college. But recently, it has become apparent that she needs me more and more. He goes on further to say, she is filled with fear and terror every time I am away. That she, ha- she fears that she has lost me and she goes in search of me every time I leave the house. This decision was in a way made 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death separate us. There's more. Integrity, he says. Integrity has something to do with it, but so does fairness. She has cared for me fully and sacrificially all these years. If I cared for her for the next 40 years, I will not be out of debt. But there is more. She is a delight to me, he says. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, the occasional flashes of that wit that I used to relish, her happy spirit and tough resilience in the face of her continuing distressing Frustration. He completes his resignation with these words. 
I do not have to care for her. I get to. It is an honor to care for so wonderful a person. That, my brothers and sisters, is commitment. Not only must there be commitment in a marriage for it to live and thrive, there must be closeness. A French historian once described marriage as three weeks of curiosity, three months of love, and 30 years of tolerance. Someone else described marriage as a proposition. Will you marry me? A proposition that ends in a sentence. Life sentence. Okay, I'll I'll move on. (laughs) One man said that the honeymoon was the interval between where the man says, I do, and the woman says, you'd better. (laughs) Somebody else said that after man, in the order of things, after man came woman, and she's been coming after him ever since. And you know, we kind of have to lighten it up a little bit so we can get the the truth here. Uh, Because sometimes when I preach this kind of lesson, I have to be very sensitive because of the fact that some of you may think I'm I'm beating up the women. And then some of you may think I'm bashing the men. So I've got to be sensitive, careful. It's like the guy who worked in the produce counter and the produce department of the grocery store. And a woman came up to him demanding to purchase a half a head of lettuce. Well, he said, ma'am... We don't sell lettuce like that. We don't sell a half a head of lettuce. And she tried to explain to her why he cannot do that. But she was adamant. She was insisting. And she was getting ugly. And he just thought to himself, in order to get rid of this woman, I'm going to have to give her a half a head of lettuce. He was mad. He went behind the counter. He took a butcher knife and put it on the counter. And he, he presumed to go ahead and slam that lettuce in half. About the time he did it, his manager came up and said, What are you doing, man? We don't sell lettuce like that. And he said, I know it. But some crazy old woman out there wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. And by the time he turned around, he'd failed to realize that she had followed him behind the counter. And when he realized that, he said quickly, but this precious, wonderful woman right here wants to buy the other half. (laughs) You got to be quick when you preach on marriage. Matter of fact, that's not the end of the whole story. The end of the whole story is the manager called the guy in the next day and said, I'm really impressed with you, son. You are very quick on your feet when it comes to thinking out and trying to come up with a solution. By the way, son, where are you from? He said, I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the home of ugly women and great hockey teams. The manager said, I'll have you know, son, my wife is from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He said, oh, is that right? What team did she play on? Now, see, some of you won't remember none of this stuff. You just remember the jokes, but that's okay. You gotta have to lighten it up, mix a little humor in there with it for you to get it. It's like taking medicine, you know? But you know, there's nothing funny about waking up one day in your home and finding out you don't know the person that you've been married to and lived with for 20 years. You know, we, we, we get, as, as we get older and we get birthday cards, they tend to be more and more humorous, as if laughing at getting older will make us younger. <laughs> Same way about marriage. We can laugh and and enjoy a little humor here, and I I deliberately want to do that. But it's no laughing matter. 
when you get up to who now seems to be a stranger to you. And when the Bible talks about closeness and intimacy here in marriage, leave and join, some of the first things we think about because of our sexually oriented society is only the closeness of sexual intimacy. While it is part of what God intends for a beautiful marriage, our world and marriages get into trouble when we reverse God's order. You all didn't hear me, did you? We always get into trouble when God has an order, a hierarchy, a priority of things, and we go trying to impose our way on it. You see, there's more to marriage and a healthy marriage than this union of sexual intimacy. The first has got to be, and remember this, this first has got to be a union of spirit to spirit. Your your would-be spouse's spirit to your spirit. That's why Paul says in his writings about this union, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Paul says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? Many people who do not marry in the faith, meaning Jesus Christ and Christian, do not marry a spouse who's already believing and serving God in their engagement time. Many people who just marry and hope they get saved later find out in their marriage as they go along that there's an emptiness in their marriage that can never be filled except for the commonality of salvation through Jesus Christ that has come to the husband and the wife. Help me preach here, somebody. I have counseled many couples, and they have said there's something's going wrong, there's something empty. And when I ask them about where they are in Christ, she says, well, he don't come to church, or she doesn't come to church. We can talk about sports, we can talk about the weather, we can talk about the job, but we can't talk about Jesus and about my faith, because he gets mad, he's got his own plan of salvation, or I get mad. And I want to tell you something, friends, if you are going to have a healthy marriage, you better make sure before you say, I do and I will, That that person you're married to is washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, has God's priority in their life, who will love you like Jesus loved the church. Because if they don't know Christ before marriage, you are being fooled to think that they will serve Christ after they get to the altar. Spirit to spirit. There's something about that you cannot demonstrate any greater love for each other than when you demonstrate your love for God first. There is no healer for your marriage quite like Jesus. There is no therapy for your marriage quite like the Word of God. There is no counselor for your hurt quite like when you pray together when you give it to God. Spirit to spirit. And if your spirit and spirit doesn't connect, you need to find somebody else or wait. I'm preaching here. (laughs) Yeah. And then there is this thing of the union of soul to soul before there ever becomes the union of flesh to flesh. Soul to soul mean during the dating time. During the uh, spending time together before marriage. I I find out their personality and see if we're soulmates. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, there's some hope. Is my wife in your ear? She doesn't like me to use the word stupid. And she's right. But I want to so bad sometimes. (laughs) Foolish is the man who says, married after having four children, 
to a wife committed to him that I found my soulmate down in South America. See, when you come to South Metro Ministry, you don't get generic preaching. It's all over the National Enquirer and Entertainment tonight and ABC. Why can't, it, why can't we deal with it right here too? Found my soulmate. What you need to do is get sober and come off the junk you're smoking. Well, anyhow, I, I don't know that about him, so I didn't call his name. I told J.C. I had a sermon for him this morning. I see him nodding over there. He's, he's doing good. Please listen to me. When, when, you, when you are connected spirit to spirit, it means the love of God. The bond of the Holy Ghost. Spirit to spirit means I, I prefer my, my pleasing you and blessing you before you please me and bless me. Soul to soul says that, that, that I'd rather you get blessed before I get blessed. I prefer you first. Soul to soul says I won't just open the car door for you when we're dating. I might try doing it after we get married. <laughs> soul to soul says when we go to the mall, we'll, we'll actually walk holding hand even after we get married. I know you're shouting me down like I'm preaching. And some of you are going to have your live camera on me and Valerie when we go off someplace. That's all right. I need to be encouraged. My point is, but we spend so, we spend so much time changing God's order that we don't know how we, we may not be connected with our disposition man I didn't know till after the honeymoon he had such an anger problem I didn't know he had all these hang ups she had all these hang ups three months later that's because you rushed God's order I know you can't know everything then after the connection of spirit to spirit and soul to soul then there becomes the connection of flesh to flesh sexual intimacy is reserved only for marriage. Please listen to me. Don't get mad at me. It's the word of God. I'm just a messenger. If you, you see, if you get God's order backwards like Hollywood teaches you to do, where you shack up without marriage and you share an apartment, share a house because you're going to try out and see if it works, you are guilty of sin. And God will give you an opportunity to repent. And if you don't repent because you want your way and you die in your sins, you will not go to heaven. That's the Bible. I don't care if it's for financial arrangement. I don't care if it's for college arrangement. I don't care if you want to find out whether you work out. That, God says, will bring a curse and not a blessing. There are some things that bring curse. (laughs) I I heard a story about... uh, the airplane taking off, and upon departure, there was this man, Mr. Johnson, who was seated beside in first class, in the first class compartment of the plane, seated beside a woman uh, in first class who was exquisitely dressed. And she had this beautiful uh, diamond necklace, larger than normal, around her neck. He was in such awe of the beauty and the splendor of it that he interrupted her and said, Ma'am, I don't mean to be rude here, but... Uh, uh, I have never seen a necklace and a diamond so exquisite and elegant. My, I just wanted to admire it. My name is Mr. Johnson. She said, Mr. Johnson, thank you so much for that kind compliment. My name is Mrs. Clotman. C-L-O-T-M, Mrs. Clotman. And this diamond I'm wearing is known as the Clotman diamond. Oh, he says, I've never heard of the Clotman diamond. Oh, yes, yes, she says. This Clotman diamond is quite like the Hope diamond. It's not exactly the same size, but it's cut the same way. 
And like the hope diamond, the person wearing it usually has a curse associated with it. And the gentleman said, I don't want to be intrusive, ma'am, but a curse? What do you mean? What is the curse associated with the Klopman diamond? And she looked at him and then bat her eye. She said, Mr. Klopman. You'll get that later. God blesses obedience. He curses disobedience. Let me show you. You all still with me there? The instruction for marriage. There must be communication. Can I get another amen by faith? Communication is to marriage what blood is to the human body. If your blood stops flowing in your body, you're dead. And I can look around here and maybe you might want to look at your neighbor and say he's talking about you. (laughs) Communication is is vital to your marriage as blood is for your body. Isn't it amazing, my brothers and sisters in church family, how we can create technology that can communicate with people on the face of the moon? Isn't it amazing how we can create technology that we can communicate to cell phone, text messaging, email, fax messaging, and Facebook? And we can't look at each other, husband and wife, on occasions across from the breakfast table and communicate. Isn't it amazing how fathers can't communicate with their sons and mothers can't communicate with their daughters and husband and wife and wife and husband can't communicate with each other. It's the destruction of one's marriage. You see, in verse 25 of our text, the Bible says that that when God presented Eve to Adam... And of course, he said, this is, this is my bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, which we call woman. Verse 25, and they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Because there was no sin. There's nothing to be ashamed of. But when sin came in, when Eve and Adam disobeyed and was tempted by Satan and gave in to this, their self and sin... They discovered after eating the forbidden fruit that they were naked. And the Bible says they hastened to sow leaves together and cover their nakedness. Communication became impaired. Breakdown began because of sin. You see, I want you to understand the nakedness they began to feel back when, when sin came. And it wasn't just the nakedness of, of nudity. It was the nakedness of, of emotional and psychological and spiritual emptiness. Can I get another amen here? Before sin and self-will took over, they were both naked and not ashamed. But after sin came in, everything changed. Uh, what I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, vital to your marriage and to our marriages and to any relationships are open lines of communication. Let, let me build on that just a moment here. I want to build on it because this is the last of three major thoughts. and I'm going to try to wrap it up in a few minutes. Here are the intentions for marriage. First of all is the intention of listening. Let me say this to you. That of all of the things we know about marriage in the Bible, I am quite clear that God's intention for marriage was for it to last. I meant for it to be permanent. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew that whatsoever God has joined together, 
let no man put asunder. Say amen, somebody. I know I am speaking to people who have been divorced, who have suffered the throes of divorce and the bitterness and the ugliness. I'm not trying to uh, put salt in your wound. I'm not trying to make you feel less than the best. But I am also, by preaching and teaching here about the permanence of marriage, the lasting of marriage, is to help save some marriages and save some people that they can get and enjoy, not just a roof over their head and sharing bills in common, but the mutual commitment of what God meant for a healthy marriage. And one of the ways for marriage to work is, is, and if you take the word last, meaning God wants the marriage to last and last and last and last till death separates you. If you take that word last, you can come up with an acronym and the first of the letters will be listen. L for the first letter in the word last. But let me break down listening. Listening means that you, you look at your spouse and they look at you while you are communicating. Can I get an amen here? Oh yeah, I've had my children tell me while they were growing up. When, when they were trying to tell me something, and, and I, you know, being multi-talented, multitask, like I am able to do several things at one time, would, would, would not look at them and make eye contact. But even little children know. They even come to their daddy and say, Daddy, 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 look, look Daddy, look! I tried not looking at my wife one time when she was talking to me, and that was the only time I did it. After I came out of intensive care, I kept my eyes on her ever since. You know whether somebody listened to you or not. Oh, honey, I can have the remote on beside here, the TV going to the sports station. I can have the newspaper in my hand and my cell phone texting and hear everything you say. <laughs> when, when this business of a communication involves inquiring, can I get an amen here? You know, if you're going to have meaningful conversation, you, you and I are going to have to come to the place sometime where we just don't listen and, bear, and build up our argument while we listen. I know I do that, and you do that too, and it's not just in marriage, but someplace else. If there's a sore spot or a point of contention, and, and somebody's confronted you, and you, you're feeling bad about it, you're looking and you're listening, but you're thinking all the time, now how am I going to defend this? And sometimes you just need to pause long enough and, and say, listen, tell me, tell me more about this. Tell, help me to understand. Inquire. Then there's something else called, and part of this listening project is to stop. What do I mean by stop? Stop interrupting. Y'all are shouting me down while I'm doing so good. We want so badly to win the, the, win the argument that we miss the whole point and we just interrupt and interrupt. And that is not healthy for any relationships. Under, the, under this thing of listening means to tell. Meaning a, a good listener is able to turn around and tell the speaker what was said. Meaning in the case of one-on-one. Huh? You ever had somebody you're talking to, they know you ain't not listening, they said to you, tell me what I've said. <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy. <laughs> Another good means of communication in marriage is, to, is the expressing of some form of comfort. Amen, church? You know, sometimes people are telling you some things, not because they want you to defend something or not because they want you to feel bad, but they're just me telling you something. It may be about their job. It may be about the highway and somebody cutting them off in, in, in front of the, uh, uh, while they were on the highway. It may be about something that went wrong in their day and they don't want to be preached at and they don't want to be given a, a three-point outline of what they should have done. They just want you to be able to express some remorse, some sadness, some affection. Oh, boy. Never look at your watch when your spouse is talking to you as if. 
good place to get in trouble, isn't it? This thing about listening involves uh, being sensitive. Guys, we don't do so good at that. Being sensitive. A preacher friend of mine told me, he said, he said uh, when he first got married, he said, uh, you know, was learning this thing of communication, closeness, and, and what have you. And, and come play some music for me, Pastor Zach. Something that, that will uh, be wedding or marriage or happy because I don't know where this is going. Here comes the bride or something else. Hey, uh, the guy, he says, I'm, as a new groom, a new groom, I came home and my wife was crying when I came from work. And I said, what's the matter, honey? And she said, I just baked you some homemade biscuits and the dog ate it. And he says, oh, honey, we'll get another dog. <laughs> that is not being sensitive. Maybe you could play taps. I'm trying to build a sermon here on the word last. The second letter is appreciate. Appreciate. I, I don't feel like preaching on marriage is my forte. But if there's ever a need, this is it. You don't always do your forte, your favorite red hot. If there's any way that Satan is attacking our congregation, this is it. And so I, 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 don't, I don't want the luxury of preaching just what I want to preach. I want to be relevant. I have so many needs, so need for improvement in these areas myself. So I'm a learner like you. Appreciation. Appreciation, you already know. We thrive on being appreciated, don't we? We thrive on an email or a text or a card. Appreciation. Don't you know that somebody else is thriving or would like to thrive on it too? Hey, tell us she looks nice. She does. Tell us she's done a good... Uh, who? who uh, I asked this question this morning and a lady raised her hands. I said, who matches those socks in your sock drawer, sir? And one lady's over here raised her hands. Sharon. And he pulled her hand right down. But well. You know, there used to be a day and time in America when... When only the, the man worked, okay? But now with the economy, the way life is, and the way the cost of living is, it sometimes take two. And a wife will have to work a 40-hour week or 48 and come and fix the dinner and wash the dishes and wash the clothes and fold the clothes and vacuum the floor and take care of the kids. And years ago when we had an agricultural economy based on farming, well, that, that was different, you know. The ladies did the chores around and the men. But we got men in America now who are lazy as the day is long. Ah, uh, here's some amens. But uh, just everybody just look just this way, right? Look right. Here. Well, my mama used to do all this. And, but your mama didn't work a job like your wife does. And your mama didn't, you know, and... If you wanted to marry your mama, what? Are you playing? Are you helping me here? Some guy said to his wife, you, you don't make biscuits like my mama. And she said, you don't bring home the dough like my daddy either. 
share. Share. You know what I feel is a challenging to many of we men is the capacity to pray with our wives. Satan has done this to us, gentlemen. Satan can cause us to meet a stranger and have a conversation. Satan, we can talk about sports, the weather, the car, the children, to our spouse. When it comes time to lay down for sleep in bed, uh, bed or just even at the table, Satan makes we men intimidated to pray in front of our wives. Don't be intimidated. Your wife is not looking for the next world evangelist by you praying. Oh, great intercessor, she needs your covering. I said she needs your covering. Share spirituality again. The last of the, the, the word, last, L-A-S-T, listen, appreciate, share. Tell yourself every day what is important. I, I'm going to try to close. I hear tell and I read that millionaires and billionaires who have gathered all the treasures in the world still don't feel like they have enough. I, I understand if money could buy peace of mind, I guess millionaires and billionaires would have it all. But all the money in the world won't hold you when you fall. All the money in the world won't caress you when you're broken. All the money in the world won't put a wet washcloth on a fevered brow. Life is lonely and miserable as it is. So if your children are fed clothes and a roof over their head and you pillow your bed uh, your head every night on the bed beside the man a woman of your dreams then you are blessed tell yourself every day it's not chasing after the almighty dollar the designer clothes the labels and the image and the plaques and the awards what is important is as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Stand, would you? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, somebody say, I love you, Jesus. Okay, here's how we'll close. We'll close with a prayer. I'm going to ask you to do what I need to do. I'm going to ask you to not put your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend or uh, future mate on the altar for resuscitation. Put yourself. Put yourself. Can I get that? I'm going to ask you, Lord, fix me. I'm going to ask you not to say, I wish so-and-so was here. And, And we have the CD and we have the online access. And get it for them if you'd like. Certainly invest in them. But God wanted me and you to intersect with this word for my benefit today. Please hear me. I have a warning for you as your shepherd. We're going to pray, but I have a warning for you. If you've recently been divorced. If you've recently gone through, or it's been a little while, gone through the throes of divorce and you're lonely. If, if, if your spouse has died an untimely death and you're lonely now. Please hear me when I tell you that the Holy Spirit would like for me to tell you, do not rush into another relationship without knowing God's will. 
You don't have to have a man that bad or a woman that bad that just anybody who don't meet all the criteria, but they need meet seven of the ten. You don't need somebody that bad that you miss God's will and end up more miserable than you were prior. I'm telling you. I'm telling you if he's not saved today and you're dating him and plan to be married postpone the date send back the invitation cards send an apology and wait until they genuinely get right or abandon them is anybody hearing me I'm telling you some of you are single today and you ought to thank me for it because you drug some stuff that was thrown under the bus and came and introduced them to me in the church and told me this is your friend as soon as I saw it I thought oh my god Deliver them and deliver me. I don't mind you laughing, but I, so I, I'm serious. I'm telling you, you'd save yourself some headache and me some headache if you just pray through. I will tell you, sometimes you can make such a decision in marriage and relationship that you can make matters worse than better. Don't you dare do it. Until you meet the right person, God will be your father and your mother and your brother and your sister and everything else you need. Thank you, Jesus. Please bow your heads. Pastor Allen, I want to join you this morning in admitting that I want to be committed to my part. God's will for a healthy, happy marriage. Pastor, I can work a little bit more on my communication, my closeness, my concern. I can work a little bit more on my listening. I can work a little bit more on the things that make for a marriage to thrive or for a friendship. And, and if you're not married, you, this is, these are some of the things that make for a relationship with God to thrive. So you're not married, but, but you're trying to please God. So pastor, I need to communicate with him more. I need to get closer to him. I need to know about his concern. I need to listen to him. So whatever category you've, you say, pastor, nobody looking around. Nobody. Just me and you and God. I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar and embarrass you singularly. But you say, I'm one of those that need to work in this area. Raise up your hands. Whether your spouse does or does not. Hold it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hold it up in faith. Now you may put him down. Now everybody pray above a whisper for your marriage, for somebody else's marriage, for another relationship that you know need help, or just for your relationship with God. Let everybody begin to pray and I'll lead us. My Father, I thank you today. That we have laughed and we have clapped and we have been silent. We have even dodged a bullet, some of us, because of what we know should have come to us. But you have spared us, O oh God. Father, come on, pray with me, church. God, there are marriages that are being thrown away. God, it's so tragic for me to pray this morning and realize that the divorce rate in the world is the same kind of divorce rate in the church. And that's not what you meant, God. God, there are some of us hiding from each other and hiding from other people, but we cannot hide from God. Come on, pray with me, church. God, I'm not here to fault fine with my wife, and nobody's not here to fault fine with their husband. We're not here to blame the children. We're saying, God, cleanse me. 
cleanse and help my language to be right. Help my values to be right. Help my speech to be right. Help my decisions to be right. Help my affections to be right, oh God. Help me to learn to apologize. Come on, say amen. Help me to learn to say I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me to be patient, to be kind, to be long-suffering, to be trustworthy. Lift your hands to the Lord all over this church. Say, God, I offer myself to you. Come on, about 30 more seconds. God, I offer myself to you. I offer my family. I offer, come on, I offer my mother. I offer my father. If you need healing in those relationships, pray for them. I offer my brother, my sister, if you need healing there. I offer my wife, my husband. I offer myself to you today. Oh, God, on this Valentine's Day, let love abound in my heart. Oh, God, I thank you that you will fix what I can't fix, but you fix me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And everybody say amen. Put your hands together now and give Him praise. Give Him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, before I let you go, there's still time. I I leaned over to Pastor Darrell in the first service. Pastor of care, Pastor Darrell Fowler. Standing right where Pastor Jeff is now. And I said to him, listen, did you take care about the, the flowers and the chocolates for your wife? And he says, well, no. I said, damn. He said, my wife is a florist. She works as a florist. She hates flowers. I said, what about chocolate? He said, she can't stand it. I said, have you tried asking her how she felt about diamonds and pearls? She likes it really well. I leaned over to the guy beside Pastor Darrell, and it was Brian, Brian McLean. I said, Brian? And I'm thinking, I've got my business covered, and I just wanted to see, you know. If he, he says, uh, I said, did you take him care of the, his wife is beside him, the chocolates and the roses? He says, well, no, Brian. Thinking, well, I got mine done. He said, uh, no, I've given her a certificate to the spa for massage. I'm thinking, I can't stand you guys. <laughs> you guys who take it a notch above the chocolate. And now i got to, anyhow, whatever you do, just bless each other. Have the greatest day. Of-